You can grab a seat. I would imagine for some of you, it's so beautiful to sing that out loud. Just worship. Yeah. But I would imagine for a, a, another group of you, it's really hard. Like really difficult to sing that. You want to. Your soul wants to cry it out. This is kind of what Job's doing for us. This is what we're working through. It's like, man, what do you do? It's like you want, you worship and oh, I exalt you. But then in these moments, like what is going on? What is happening? You know, uh, months ago, uh, our teaching team got together and we said, hey, Ryan said, I feel like we need to teach Job. And we were all like, yes, this is great. We need to teach Job until you got to teach Job, right? And then you're like, whoa, like I literally, I literally sent to the teaching team this week, well, I think my message is going to be four and a half hours uh, this, this weekend. Because it's just like, into, when you get into it, you go, whoa, there is so much here. It's not about just some dude who had everything taken away and then got it all back. That's like the American dream, right? We love that story. It's not that. It's far more complicated, far no, more nuanced. And what, what we learn is that the story of Job is all of our stories. It's intrinsically human. It's helping us feel. It's helping us figure out what it is to protest God and praise God and to be okay with that tension. This is what Job is doing for us. This is what it has been doing for us. Uh, seven years ago, I was on an airplane to New Jersey, flying to New Jersey, and I was in an immense amount of pain, emotionally, spiritually, asking so many questions. I had just got done shutting down a nonprofit that I loved that was helping the local church and helping millennials. I was like so excited uh, about what God was doing and then we had to shut it down. I had to give away a nonprofit, another nonprofit that I had started to build wells in India. I had to step down as the chairman of the board from Harvest India, a ministry I loved. I had been serving for five years as the chairman of the board. I had to step down from that. My son had cancer, so we're in the middle of leukemia. We had just adopted our daughter, Mika, and I'm on, the reason why I'm on this plane is because once I transitioned out of this nonprofit, I've been a pastor at the time for about 17 years, is I went candidating to be a senior pastor. I had 10 churches that were taking me through a process to being their senior pastor, and every single one of them said no. And so I'm on an airplane get in my corporate job, <laughs> my white-collar job, going, what is going on? This wasn't the plan. And so I started reading, uh, rereading this book that has been a book I've gone back to over the years called Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. And he says this, I read this on the airplane. I do not pray that you be delivered from pain, but I earnestly pray to God that he will give you strength and patience to bear the pain. Comfort yourself in him who holds you fastened to the cross. He will free you when he thinks it's the right time. Happy are those who suffer with him. Accustom yourself to suffer in this manner. Seek strength from him to endure the pain for as long as he thinks necessary. And I just started weeping. How many of you have ever had a hot cry in a public place? Raise your hand. Come on, proud. 
just, and everyone's looking around going like, what's wrong? I, I like, but when you're on an airplane, it's far more like obvious. Everyone's like, oh my gosh, what happened? I wonder if he's coming back from a funeral. No, God's rocking my world, right? And the, and the statement that got me was comfort yourself in him who holds you fastened to the cross. In that statement is so much tension. Because one, for me, what I realized is I wasn't alone on the cross. I wasn't alone in my pain. God's hand was holding me there. It wasn't my circumstances. It wasn't Satan. It's God who's allowing me to go through it. But then on the other side of that, stop it, God. Stop it. Like, I don't like this. It's uncomfortable. Make it go away. And I'm in the midst, and I'm just weeping because I believe the truth. And I'm feeling the tension but I actually find myself worshiping. Starting to find my soul regain, regain a footing that it had been lost. Isaiah 41.10 says this, fear not. Everybody look here, fear not. Fear not, fear not. Why? For I am with you. Hey, listen, do not be dismayed. Eyes up here, don't be dismayed. Don't be dismayed. Why? Because I am your God. What will God do? I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. This is what we're learning in the book of Job. This is what we're learning in life right now. I mean, in Job chapter one, <clears throat> Job comes swinging out the gates. He's a righteous man right out the bat. It says, this dude is righteous. He's got a fish on his car, right? Like he volunteers at the soup kitchen. Like he helps the homeless, right? He takes in widows and orphans and he's generous. He's the best tither at the church. Glory be to God, uh, right? Like we're like, we need to put this guy on the elder board. He's the best, right? He's such a good dude. Everyone's like, who do we go to for counsel? Go to Job. He's super righteous. This is Job. And then all of a sudden there's this heavenly throne room scene and it, it starts to spin us out a second because wait a second, Satan's come to God. Wait, well, no, 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 that doesn't work that way. Wait, wait, that comes into conflict with my the theology. Well, that, that doesn't work. And so we want to throw that part away. This is why a lot of people don't teach it. Um, because all of a sudden Satan is giving a report to God about what's happening. He's like, there's no one good. And, and he's like, here's the crazy. Have you considered my servant Job? Like, first off, that's like a high five to Job. God just gave you a recommendation on righteousness. Like that's huge. And then all of a sudden you're like, wait a second. He just released Satan to get after Job. Wait, no, 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 that doesn't work for me. Now I'm in immense amount of tension again. And then all of a sudden these friends come along, right? Because Job has lost his health. He's lost his wealth. He's lost his family and he's desolate. And you have these friends, which I find so interesting in scripture, they call them friends or comforters, because they're neither one of those things. They're like the worst friends ever, right? They're like the friends who are like, you're probably a sinner. That's probably why all this is happening to you, right? You ever have people in your life that are like that, right? You ever have people who just say stupid stuff? Like, like for a woman who has just had a baby, right? And you go up and you go, boy, you look tired, Like you want to go, well, you look fat. No, you don't. No, you would never say that out loud, right? You would never say that out loud, but you think it in your head. Don't play, play like you're some good Christians, right? You know you think those awful thoughts like, go, go <laughs> jump off a cliff, right? <laughs> right? Those people drive you nuts. This is Job's comforters. They're just coming to him in the midst of his despair and his hurt and his disillusionment. And they're like, you're probably doing something really bad. And that's why God's against you. And Job's like trying to 
trying to say, no, vindicate me. I'm trying to vindicate myself. I'm like, no, that's not what's going on. That's not what's happening. And in chapter 28, which is where Mark uh, took us last week, is he starts talking about wisdom, and wisdom is the fear of God. Like, Job gets that. He understands that. But then in chapters 29 to 31, he continues back in this loop that he keeps going to, which is like, God, bring me before some holy divine courtroom, and I will plead my case that I am righteous and don't deserve what's been given to me. I don't deserve it. You ever felt that way? God, I did some good stuff, God. I don't deserve this bad stuff. So let me, I need some court in which I present myself to you and and you make it right. And then what we have in verse 32 is a guy that doesn't get a lot of press. His name is Elihu and he should get a lot of press because it's this very transitional voice. He's another one of the friends, but he's the youngest. And he kind of like in honor stands back And he's like listening to everybody. He actually says that. I'm just, I haven't said anything. I've remained quiet. He's the youngest. And he's sitting back and he's in quiet. But he actually gets more uninterrupted speeches than any of the other friends. He gets four of them and does not get interrupted. In fact, he's actually transitioning us into when God speaks. So he's incredibly important to the narrative that we learn in Job. And what he does is he engages with Job far more intentionally than all the friends. He's actually listening And he's repeating back to Job. By the way, if you're in counseling, like it's the best thing to do. If your counselor goes, it sounds like you're saying, or even if you're with a friend, it sounds like you're saying this. sounds like you're going through this. This is what Elihu is doing. He is kind of repeating back to Job what Job's is going on. And one, uh, but he doesn't always get it right. And I love this one commentator. He said this, that Elihu has the almost right wisdom. He's almost right. But he starts putting words in Job's mouth. He, he continues to say to Job, Job, you keep saying you're sinless and you're not sinless. And Job's like, I never said that. You ever have somebody put words in your mouth? You're like, da, 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 da. like if you want to take me to a 10, just go ahead and accuse me of something I didn't do. You know what I'm saying? Like put words in my mouth. Mom, what, you know, my wife goes like, no, that's what you meant. It's like, no, that's not what I meant. Like, don't say that, right? This is what the, the Elihu keeps doing is he puts words He adds into his own idea of what Job, what he believes Job's struggling with, which he's saying, Job, you're saying you're sinless. Job's like, no, I'm not. But then he's right. Elihu is right in the fact that he's presenting some things that Job has wrong, that the friends have wrong. And he's angry. It actually says in the first few verses that he's angry. He's really, really angry. He's angry at the friends, right? It says he burned with anger at Job's three friends because they found no answer although they had declared Job to be wrong. He's like, you didn't even, you just abandoned him. You presented your case, you got up all in his business, and then you just went, well, I guess it's not gonna work out, and you walked away. And he's deeply frustrated by that. First off, he's like, what about bearing each other's burdens, right? We're like, well, if it doesn't work out, I guess it's not that big a deal. Like, Like, Elihu is deeply, deeply angry about that, concerned about that. I think we do that a lot. I think we like throw in our comments and then we bolt when it doesn't work out the way we want. Like this is, he's like, that's not good friendship. That's not helpful. But he's also angry at Job. And he says here is that he burns with anger against Job because he, he justified himself rather than God. This is what Elihu is angry about. This is what he's going to spend the next few chapters trying to help Job unpack, trying to help you and I unpack. 
Job demanded that God justify him. Like, here's this really interesting passage that we all love. We love this passage. Uh, it's, it's Job 13:15. It, it looks good on a coffee mug, on a bumper sticker. It's awesome. And it's like, listen, though he slay me, I will hope in him. And we love that. And we stop right there. We go, yes, he got it. Job's figuring it out. He got it. Except you got to continue on in the verse. And the verse says, yet, yet, I will argue my ways to his face. No, stop. Just stop with that first part. We're like, no, when I'm going through persecution, when I'm going through difficulty, when I'm going through pain, I have hope that you are who you say you are and you will do what you say you will do. But Job's going, but no, 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 I wanna go before God and go, look, I'm righteous. And we wanna do the same thing. I wanna prove my case to God. So many of us are guilty of this. We keep doing this. That's why we keep asking the questions. That's why we keep trying to poke our finger in the divine's chest, how foolish of us. This is why Elihu is angry. Because Job is essentially criticizing God for how he's running things. And he's demanding answers from God. And it's infuriating Elihu because he's like this. Who do you think you are? In the kindest of ways. Who do you think you are? Who do we think we are? Do you feel that with Job? Do you sympathize and empathize with Job when stuff's not going right? When you didn't get that job? When all of a sudden the economy isn't where it's wants? When certain political things are coming up? When there's insurrections? Do you kind of go like, God, you got to give an account for this. We start trying to figure this whole thing out. Because we hate tension. We hate it. And we're always trying to solve it. And what Elihu is doing is he's starting to realign Job and the friends. Uh, I, uh, I hate working out. How many of you hate working out? Just raise your hand. You hate working out. It's the worst thing in the whole world. People always tell me, but once you do it, you'll feel better once you get home. No, never, never. I never, never feel that way. I'm never like, I'm so glad I did that. I never feel that way. And part of the reason why I don't like it, I don't like walking into the gym and some 12-year-old is squatting twice what I can squat. Like, send me to the geriatrics gym. I'm in for that gym, right? I want to get after that gym, but I, I do not, I don't like walking in. So I decided to do CrossFit because I feel, I found out that's what strong people do. So I, I go to CrossFit and I, and I got to prove myself. So I did this thing called a snatch or something. I don't know what it's called. They have names for everything, right? And there's timers. And I did a snatch and my back went snatch. It went snap, right? And so I couldn't do that. So I go to the physical therapist and I sit down and he, like, he's kind of evaluating uh, my body. And he goes, you have the body of a 70-year-old. Like you have been very, very unkind to your body. And I'm like, I agree. I have not stretched a day in my life. I've played sports my whole life. I think stretching is stupid, right? I think it's so, what a waste of time. Let's get to the task that we're supposed to get after, right? Stretch? I'm gonna spend 15 minutes stretching? No, I'll stretch when I go do the thing I wanna go do, right? Uh, it's kind of like, uh, I get water. It just happens to be in my coffee, all right? Uh, so he goes, we've gotta realign your body. Like you're so jacked up because you know your hips are all cocky and your back and your shoulders, everything's all wonky. Of course, of course you got hurt working out. So if you'll work with me, we'll realign your body so things will work again today. That, uh, that's exactly what Elihu's trying to do. He's trying to go, something's off, Job. Something's off, 
church family, something's off in us. Something's off in us that needs to be realigned. And one of the things that Elihu brings to us is that God speaks. I want you to know that God speaks to you even when you're sinning. This is one of the things that Job's friends are convinced that God's not speaking to Job. God's not moving on behalf of Job because Job is sinful. Elihu says, no, that's not true. That's not true. In fact, in, in, in chapter 33, verse 15, he starts uh, rattling off these ways in which, God, in, in, in which God speaks to us. He speaks to us through dreams. It says in verse 15 that he speaks in night visions, in secret inspirations. I love that one in verse 16. You ever, you ever just been on a walk and felt like, man, I think I need to shift something. You know, sometimes I, I sit on my front porch and I watch the birds <laughs> and I go, oh my gosh, stupid birds. And look, they're just so happy. Why am I not? Like, that's a secret inspiration. Like, why am I, why the bird's not stressed out? Why am I stressed out, right? That's like a, he's speaking to us all the time. You ever been by the, the edge of the ocean and just felt small? Or next to a mountain, just felt small? It's like, he's speaking to us. But one of the interesting ways that, that Elihu brings out is that he speaks is through affliction. Oh, I don't like that one. Give me the one where I go back to the ocean. I like that one. Don't do the affliction one. I don't want that one. But many of you feel that right now, don't you? Like one of my favorite passages in all of scripture is Hosea 6.1. I feel like I, I learned it. I was studying the prophets during uh, 2020. And this passage came out and says this, come, let's return to the Lord. Listen to this, so powerful. For he has wounded us so he can heal us. He's broken us so he can bandage our wounds. He is going to speak to you through difficult times. And I know we don't like that, but to be honest, we become a lot more listening when things are difficult and things are hard. This is what Elihu is trying to bring to Job through this time. He's actually trying to bring it to the friends as well. He's like, listen, well, why does he do these things? He also does it through ransom and through atonement. Why does he do these things? It says in uh, chapter 33, verse 29, he says this, behold, God, God does all these things allows all these things to happen for, to you and to me uh, twice, three times, which is to say over and over and over again with a man. To bring, listen, to bring his soul from the pit that he may be lighted with the light of life. He is the last person to speak before God speaks. Why does God allow us to go through these things? He's awakening us to who he is. And he is a jealous God and will do whatever it takes to awaken us to his grandeur, his glory, his transcendence, which is what Elihu is trying so hard to help Job see because Job wants an answer. Job wants to solve the problem. And what Elihu is saying is look to God, not to the answer, not to the resolve. And I think we really struggle with this. Because the moment we get the answer, we get the resolve, we kind of move on and we abandon ourselves to whatever's next, to comfort, to whew, everything's fine now. And Elihu won't have it. He's like, God's too high and lifted up. In fact, he says in chapter 37, verses 23 through 24, the almighty, we cannot find him. He is great. He is great in power, justice, and abundant in righteousness. He will not violate. Therefore, therefore is therefore a reason. Men fear him. 
He does not regard any who are wise in their own conceit. These are the last words that Elihu speaks before God speaks, as if to set God up to say, okay, he's yours. But he is saying to Job and he is saying to you and to me, you all want answers. We all want answers and what we should want more is God. We want answers to the problem. We want answers to what's happening right now in our culture, in our society. And once we have the answer, we go, oh, everything's better. Actually, what we hate is we hate tension. How many, what, what do you, how many of you know what this is? Rubber band. How many of you have one of those in your hand? Okay. Uh, uh, this is actually called, and go ahead, you can have that rubber band in your hand right now. This is actually called a strength band. Why is it called a strength band? Is it called a strength band because you just do this with it? No, it's called a strength band because you have to actually stretch it out. So you can even stretch out your rubber band if you want. Now I'm going to preach the rest of the message just like this. What do you think about that? Can I just tell you, this is what most of you feel like? Most of us feel like? COVID, racial conflicts, political changes. I can't take anymore, God. Solve it. I want to go back here where everything's fine. And I can just relax and we can live in the greatest country in the whole wide world. Wealth and prosperity. My 401k is up and to the right and I can finally start that Airbnb business that I wanted to. But this right here is not going to work for me, God. This is not going to work for me. I don't like being in this place. But guess what happens when we're in this place? We have to trust something. Tension is what puts us into a place that we have to have faith. Faith in something other than our circumstances. Because here we get lazy. If you remember the word that God gave the Israelites as they were about to head into the promised land, do not forget from whence you came. God's concern was once they got in the promised land, they stopped worshiping him. They stopped praising him. They would forget that he provided manna for them every single day. A cloud by day, a fire by night, that he rescued them, that he had water shoot out of a rock. They were in tension. But when they got to the promised land, what happened? Ah, everything's fine now. Now I can relax. There's something I, I think is so important to bring out here, and it's this. Is that God is not interested in solving the tension. He's not, in fact, this is so, he invites us into the tension. He's the one who does it. He invites us into the tension, not the solution. Isn't that interesting? He invites Job into the tension and does not solve with a solution. He does not speak in those moments. He allows Job to just wax eloquent about how righteous he is. He allows the friends to falsely accuse him. But God is about to speak, and God is not going to speak in, now just do this. He's going to say, let me tell you who I am, and will you worship me? As the same today, the beginning and the end, the Yahweh, the I am that I am. I exist in myself. I exist in myself for my glory. Will you worship me? And what we find out about the Bible is this. 
The whole Bible, the whole narrative, the whole Christian life is that you and I are going to be in tension. Jesus says this, I love this. He gives us a promise. You write for a promise, we love promises from Jesus, don't we church? We love it, come on Jesus, give me that promise. In this world, you will suffer. Nope, don't like that one. <laughs> we got another promise, life, life to the full, eternal life, all that good stuff, like, you know, health and wealth, I would, that would be a good one. <laughs> nope, in this world, you will suffer. But I wanna give you another promise so that you don't lose hope, take heart, have overcome the world. And what we start reading in the Bible, what we start finding is there's just a stories of tension. Noah, I mean, think about Noah. God's like, build a boat. Noah's like, what's a boat, right? He's like, there's gonna be a flood. He's like, what's a flood, right? He's like, perfect, go do it. I don't know what that means. And everyone's criticizing him and making fun of him for hundreds of years as he's like, what is this? I don't know, God told me to do it, right? Puts him in tension. He puts him in unbelievable attention. Abraham. Abraham is waiting for the promised son, Isaac. Finally gets Isaac, right? And he's like falling in love with this kid. Oh God, you're so good. And God's like, I want you to sacrifice him. Well, wait a second, God, that's not the plan. That's not how it works. Nope, I want you to sacrifice him. Because I don't want you to put anybody before me. So Abraham walks up that mountain, lays his son on that altar, Tension, tension. Joseph, Joseph gets sold into captivity. He goes to Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's wife comes on to him. He's like, whoa, girl, I don't play like that, all right? And, and she falsely accuses him. He gets arrested. Whoa, gay God, that's not the plan. I did the right thing. Like the right thing is Potiphar's wife like, listen, you need to go to counseling, girl. You got some stuff from your past. We gotta deal with that, Okay. But that's not what happens. He gets, she gets thrown, he gets thrown in prison. And then he goes in prison. He starts helping some dudes and they forget about him. He's just in prison going, what is happening right now? What is happening is his intention. Will you be faithful to follow after me and worship me in the midst of tension? Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, faithfully serve Yahweh. What happens? End up in fire. End up in a fire. End up in a, in a lion's den. What? A lion's den? Jeremiah the weeping prophet, right? The weeping prophet, the people, are, the Israelites are in captivity. Why? Who put them there? God did. Why? Because they were disobedient. What does Jeremiah say? He doesn't say, don't worry, God's going to get us out of here. You know, he says, thrive in Babylon. Can I just give a word to our church right now? Thrive in America. The politics, the policies are not going to be what you want. They're not. You'll never be like, oh my gosh, everything's great. It's all working. No, you're gonna be in complete tension and that's how it should be. Because if you love America more than you love God, we have a problem. We have a problem. Thrive in the country that he's put you in for his glory and his honor. Thrive in this period of church history. You're here for a purpose. You matter, so thrive there. But we're all going, oh, it'll be so better if we just had this president or if we have just had this poly, everything would be better. And God's like, nope. Because I want to wound you so I can heal you, but you won't let me because you hate tension. But that's the whole Bible. Think about Jesus, the sinless son of God, dies for you and me. Eli, Eli, lama, shabachthani. Why? Jesus is experiencing so much tension for the glory of God so that we would be healed 
and made whole. So what do we do? I think that's a big question a lot of people have. Like, okay, I, you know, we're pragmatic people. Like, Elihu's telling us stuff. Job's telling us stuff. Friends are telling us stuff. What do we do here? Psalms 13 is this really beautiful psalm, and I would encourage you to read it. But what Psalms 13 brings out is this example of David. And Job does this. So I want you to know this is really, really important. I think we all need to learn to protest God. You're like, I don't like that. But the Bible, I mean, David is a man after God's own heart, and he protests God. Job protests God. Why? This is wrong. I'm doing the best I can. It doesn't make sense. He's grieving. He's lamenting. You know, we have a book in the Bible called Lamentations. It's like the Bible's like, go for it. Jesus himself lamented. He weeped. God, take this away from me. If there's any other way, do it. We need to learn to protest God. But here's the problem, is all we ever do is protest God. And what David does in the second half of that Psalms in Psalm 13 is he learns to praise. This is what Elihu is trying to help Job. Praise him. Praise him. There's a conjunction. Conjunctions in scripture are so important. And in this Psalm, there is a conjunction in Psalms 13. It says, but now I will praise you. Even in the midst of the tension, in the midst of the hurt, even as I protest you because stuff's not working out the way I want, I don't understand what's happening. Still, I praise you. I'm living in the tension of protest and praise and you are my focus and you are my strength and you are my guidance and you are my healing and you are my care and you will show me where to go and what to do and what to say. This is what we need right now in our world, in our churches. We need believers who are okay with tension because we look real silly when we do this. Jesus was okay with it. Job is learning to be okay with it. We have this staff member. Uh, she used to work here at Living Streams. Her name's Morgan. Um, I know, she's awesome. <laughs> Some of you love Morgan, that's great. Uh, but she now works for Phoenix One. And we've been so grateful to have her on our team. And uh, Morgan suffers daily. Uh, she has a, a, an illness, a chronic illness that's just really painful for her. Most days you'll see her in the office and she'll be covered. Kinda, she doesn't talk about it. I asked her if I could talk about it. And she just kind of covers her stomach up. She's in immense amount of pain every single day. She doesn't sleep very well. She's done all the work. And you know what people come and do to her all the time? They're constantly trying to solve that problem for her. They're trying to spiritualize the problem for her. They're trying to actually go, you should go to this dietitian. You should go to this doctor. Everyone wants solution. One, they love her and they want to care for her. But she said something to me this week that I thought was so beautiful. And because I'm learning, right? I just, Morgan, help me. I'm, I, I can't tell you how much I struggle with this passage. Uh, the, I, I, the whole teaching team has just struggled through how do we bring this to you so you'll understand and hear. How do I bring it to myself so I'll hear it? And Morgan said this. She said, the healing for me was finding the Lord in the suffering. I want you to hear that. That's strong. The healing for me was not taking away the pain 
and the hurt. While I want that, I pray for that, I desire that, the healing for her is that she finds the Lord in her suffering. I wonder if that might be a part of your focus. I wonder if that might be a shift in the way you think about things, that actually the healing is finding the Lord in the suffering, finding him there. This is what Elihu is trying to help Job understand. And God is about to come in and declare who he is and remind Job, don't forget who I am. Don't forget who I am. Worship me. Comfort yourself. Listen, comfort yourself in him who holds you to the cross. Comfort yourself there. I'm gonna have you tra- we're gonna transition here in a second to a time of silence because I just feel like after something like this, we just need to sit for a bit. Some of you are just going through some stuff and maybe this word that came to you is powerful. It's the coolest part about doing this job. The Bible says the word does not return void, which means I just get to go up here and go, hey, I'm trying to do the best I can, Lord, right? He's like, don't worry, I got it. <laughs> You'll mess it all up, but it's okay. You'll, you, I got it, I got it, I got it. He's speaking to a lot of you right now. And, but I thought I would use this psalm to help transition our time into a time of silence and reflection. Maybe, maybe right now you take that little rubber band and go, I'm actually just like right here and I'm not depending on the Lord. Maybe you just stretch it out and go, Lord, I need to lean into that suffering. Lord, I need to learn to worship you. Lord, I, I, need, I don't know if, but Lord, I've, I've actually protested you. Psalms 21, 121 says this, I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who makes heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Father God, I pray that in this time of silence that you would speak. We know you speak loudest in the quiet. Direct our hearts. We offer this time to you, our sanctuaries of our souls, that you would speak. Your servants are listening. Speak to us, Heavenly Father.